You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Well, good morning, everybody. If you will, I invite you to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, as we kick off our new series that we have entitled The Invisible War, A Fight Against the Devil, the World, and the Flesh. And I just want to say, uh, Adam alluded to this earlier, but we have five excellent books that are uh, currently for sale out in the foyer. Um, one that I, or actually I want to recommend all five of them to you, but um, this one particular, The Truth About Lies, it's probably my favorite book that I've read this year, one of the favorite books maybe I've ever read ever. Um, it is on no bestsellers list out there. You've never heard of it, but I promise you uh, what it doesn't make up for in uh, design or whatever else it totally makes it for in content. Um, uh, uh, several of the books is one is Supernatural by Michael Heiser, uh, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. How many of you have read The Screwtape Letters before? Several of you. It's fantastic. It's satire. Um, it, it, it's, it's funny, but also deeply theological, and it really kind of pulls back uh, the layers behind the, the, the invisible war that we find ourselves in right now as we speak. And so um, that is out there. Also a couple books, and, and we'll really uh, reference these more later on in our series, but Why Liberalism Has Failed and The Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers, who has become uh, probably one of the greatest influences in uh, my life and the life of our pastors and have influenced our church in incredible ways. And so all those books are on sale. $10. $10. We don't make a penny off those. In fact, we lose money off of them. If you go anywhere else, even Amazon, you're going to have to pay more than that. And so I think there's only one copy left of Screwtape Letters. Is that right? After this morning. And so, uh, but we'll order more of these. Just be sure to get by there and uh, grab a copy of one of the books if you would like to. And so um, before we dive into our text today, I just want to say welcome. If you are a member today or, or a, a guest today, on behalf of our members and our pastors, we are so glad that you are here. Um, there's a connect card that is in front of you in the back of the seat. If you want, grab that, fill out some information about yourself, and then put it on our welcome table in the back. And that is just uh, out in the foyer. And that is just a way for us to have a record of your visit and to learn how we can serve you to the best of our ability. So all that being said, John chapter 8, it should hopefully be open uh, by uh, this point and in front of you. And um, I'm reading from the NIV translation. Uh, As always, the sermon notes are on the YouVersion Bible app, and you can grab those there if that is beneficial to you. The reality is uh, there is evil in the world. And thank God there's also goodness. Uh, In fact, just yesterday, after watching the sunrise with my daughter, I got a chance to sit in the warmth of the sun on the front porch with a good book and a cup of coffee and a gluten-free pumpkin muffin that my wife had made me. Um, And then after I got a chance to enjoy a lazy Saturday morning, I went and I coached my son's soccer team. And what I felt like yesterday was pretty much perfect October weather. But then at the end of the game, after this kind of little piece of heaven on earth, I walked into the parking lot and I received a text from a woman in our church 
who told me about an illegal adoption scheme that actually took place even right here in our city, where a man posing as a Christian missionary convinced pregnant Marshallese women, some of uh, whom actually live here in Paragold, to move to America so that he could buy their babies from them and then turn around and sell them for a large chunk of money. It was a scheme that actually, according to Jessica Bohm of the USA Today, is not only illegal, but in her words, and I quote, it is straight up evil. And the reality is, we know that this evil exists in the world. But what I'm often reminded of in my own life is that evil doesn't just exist out there, but it exists in here. I mean, even this past week, there were times where I lost my temper with my wife and kids, times where I looked down on others and my heart, and moments where I objectified maybe a woman in my mind. And though in our Western society, people will blame these different types of evil on anything from a lack of education to biological instability to corrupt politicians, when we come to the Bible, we actually discover something different. Because according to the scriptures, there are actually three different enemies of our soul and our society that though they are completely invisible, they are absolutely real. And those enemies, as we'll look at over the next eight weeks, are the enemies of the devil, the world, and the flesh. Enemies that right now, whether you realize it or not, are waging war against every single human who bears the image of God. And because as pastors, what I hope you see is that um, because our hope is that you will not become a casualty of this invisible war because our desire for you is not only that you will survive but thrive as a disciple of Jesus. The reason we are launching this practicing series throughout the fall is we hope is that it is basically it's an attempt to open our eyes to the reality of an enemy that if we left unchecked and unabated will in fact take us down. I have a pastor friend who uh, used to be an army ranger. And he led a battalion in the Iraq war. And one of the things that he would say to his soldiers on a daily basis is stay alert and stay alive. He said over and over, stay alert and stay alive. And the reason he would say this is he said, you know, a funny thing would happen where soldiers, when they would first come over to Iraq, they were like hyper vigilant. I mean, if they saw a piece of trash on the road, they could be like, oh, that might be an IED. Or if they saw a kid walking down the street, they could be like, oh, he might be a terrorist. He could have a bomb on him. But then he said what would happen is, is maybe a week or two would go by, they wouldn't get shot at, or they wouldn't hear an explosion, and all of a sudden they'd be lulled to sleep. It was almost like they would forget they were in war. He said, boom, it was when that happened that one of our soldiers would be picked off and taken down. So he would say every day, stay alert, stay alive. And what I want you to know, the reason we're launching this series is that is our message to you. Our message and our hope is that we as a church will stay alert to the enemy and his strategies against us so that we can, in return, spiritually speaking, stay alive and experience the life and the joy and the peace that God has created us to experience. Does that make sense? And so in the next eight weeks, we're going to go on this journey and we're going to look at our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But to start this morning, we're going to talk about the devil because I knew that every one of you would be excited to do so. So John chapter 8, hopefully you were there. Verse 31 is where we're going to start. John 8 verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's one of Jesus' greatest and most popular teachings. 
They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. So how can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will what? Be free indeed. I know if you are Abraham's descendants, or I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Now at this point, if you're reading, you should be thinking, well, who is he talking about when he says their father? Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, which is Jesus' way of saying wrong answer, and then you would know, or then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. Again, who is their father? We are not illegitimate children, or as scholars will tell us, actually in the Greek here, they're literally saying, we are not bastards like you, Jesus. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. And who is the father? Wait for it. The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So how are we doing so far? Glad to be here. All right, welcome to church, everybody, on a light topic on the devil. Right out of the gate, notice a few things about the devil according to Jesus. And the first thing I want you to notice is that according to Jesus, there is a devil. There is a creature that we read about all through the library of Scripture that on some occasions, as we see here, he is referred to the, as the devil, which in the Greek means the accuser or the adversary. But in other places, Jesus refers to him as the Satan or the evil one or the tempter or the destroyer or the deceiver or the serpent of old. On three different occasions, we actually see that Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. The word for ruler that Jesus uses here is the Greek word archon, which literally in the Greek is a political word that means the highest ranking position in the government. And so just notice that for Jesus, the devil is not a myth. And I know that when I say that, like immediately, like it even makes you think maybe I'm a fundamentalist. Uh, what's the phrase that um, they say about Southern, uh, Southern Baptists that the problem with premarital sex is that it may lead to dancing? Right? Or whatever else. Like, I feel like, like that's kind of like the way people even, like, are looking at me when I talk about the devil. Like, oh, you're one of those futh- like fundamentalists, like, Southern Baptists, like, whatever else. Like, this is old school teaching. But notice, right? According to Jesus, the devil is not a myth, not a figment of our imagination. He's not a superstition. He's not some sort of red, like, cartoon character with a pitchfork on our shoulder. Nor is he like a Will Ferrell skit from Saturday Night Live. But rather, to Jesus, the devil is an invisible yet incredibly powerful creature that is the evil behind much of the evil that we experience in our own soul and society. Secondly, notice, according to Jesus, the devil's end goal is to murder you. Jesus says in verse 44, and I quote, he, talking about the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, meaning that the devil's end goal 
is to wipe you out. Or as Jesus would go on to say in John 10, 10, to kill, to steal, and destroy. I think of that scene in the movie The Dark Knight that was starring Heath Ledger, where Alfred is warning Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, about the Joker. And he says to Batman, to Bruce Wayne, there are some men who aren't looking for anything logical. They can't be bought. They can't be reasoned or negotiated with. And then he leans in and he says that iconic line, some men just want to watch the world burn. Guys, that's what the devil is like. He is a villain who is hell-bent on your destruction. (laughs) He is a creature who is at war with God and man, and he is literally seeking right now as we speak to burn down to the ground all that is good and beautiful and true. I think about um, that verse, 1 Peter 5, 8, where Peter says, Be alert and sober-minded. There's that word again, a be alert, stay alert. Be alert and sober-minded. And then think about this image. I think we can put it on the screen for you. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word that is used for devour, by the way, is a word that literally means to swallow whole. And it's the exact same root word that we see used in Jonah 1.17 where it says that God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. This, according to Peter, is what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to make you disappear. He wants to wipe you out. He wants you to vanish. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to drag you into the depths of hell. This is the devil's end goal for your life. Finally, what I want you to see from John 8, according to Jesus, is that if the devil's end goal is to murder, the means by which he is going to accomplish that is through lies. Look at verse 44 again. Jesus says that he, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. What a crazy phrase. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I don't know about you, but for me growing up, whenever I thought about how Satan tried to come at me and attack the church and other Christians and people in the world, I didn't, basically what I thought of was the movie The Exorcist, okay? Or Paranormal Activity. I thought of destruction and disaster. Uh, maybe some of you, might, I don't know if you were like me, but I remember growing up and people would be like, Pastor, you know, they weren't talking about I wasn't a pastor growing up, but to my dad, you know, whatever, like, Pastor, I wanted to be there this morning, but man, the devil threw one at us and we got a flat tire on the way to church, right? Or a guy would say, man, me and my wife, man, the devil's really after us because we were on the way this Sunday morning and we got into a big fight. To which now I look at like, you know, maybe the reason you got a fight is not because the devil was after you, but because you're a jerk, you know? And so like, that could be it. And so... But a lot of times that's what we think of, right? These big, like crazy scenarios where the devil's like coming at you and he's throwing these things. And, and there's truth to all of that. But notice how according to John 8, which is Jesus' longest teaching on the devil, according to Jesus, the means, and you've got to get this today, the means by which the devil is trying to murder you, to steal, kill, and destroy The primary means by which he is seeking to do this is not through demonization or disasters or diseases, but rather through deception. Through getting in your ear and feeding you lies 
that if you begin to believe will lead you down a path to destruction. And because, right, Jesus knows this is true, what he wants us to see today is that our fight against the devil, spiritual warfare, our fight against the devil is primarily a fight to believe the truth over believing lies. That's the battle that we're in right now. And in David Tackle's commentary on this, in his book, The Truth About Lies, which I referenced earlier, he says the following. He, the devil, cannot violate our will or make us sin. Did you know that? The devil can't make you sin. But he can offer us distorted perceptions as if they were foundations for life or twist the truth until we no longer know which end is up. We greatly trivialize the work of the enemy when we say his primary activity is to tempt us to do bad things. That's only a small part of his strategy. If he can keep us, listen to this, if he can keep us from hearing the truth or keep us from internalizing the truth once we hear it, if he can fill our heart with all sorts of distortions about spiritual realities, then we will go off and self-destruct on our own without any need for constant harassment or temptation. Isn't that a crazy thought? This is the stuff of which the kingdom of darkness is built. He goes on to say, once we grasp this reality, we have within our reach a phenomenal weapon because light has all the power. Wherever light enters, darkness is obliterated. Isn't that a great phrase? Like if this room is dark right now, you turn on the lights, darkness is obliterated. There is no contest, no struggle. Light wins hands down. The kingdom of darkness, he says, is built on a sham. And one thing it cannot tolerate, therefore, is exposure to the truth. In light of that, the question we should probably be asking this morning is, well then, what is truth? And though I could provide for you a whole sermon series that could unpack what is truth, I'm just going to try to make it super simple and I'll put it on the screen for you. Truth is simply reality. And reality is what you bump into whenever you are wrong. So for example, if I all of a sudden say, hey, everybody close your Bibles, let's go outside to Pruitt Street, y'all stand in front, I'm going to stand on top of the crossing, and I'm going to jump off because I believe I can fly, right? Reality is what I hit whenever I hit the ground. The truth is what I realize whenever my face smacks into the pavement. Does that make sense? Truth equals reality, and therefore the opposite of truth is lies, which means lies equal unreality. Now, this next part I'm about to say is very important, but I just want to warn you, you're going to have to think for the next five minutes, okay? Because this is going to be heady, this is going to be teachy, there's going to be a part of you over the next five, six minutes, you're going to want to tune out, but I promise you, if you'll stay with me, the payoff is going to be helpful for you in the long run, okay? So here's what I want you to know. With that in mind, truth equals reality, lies equal unreality. According to psychologists, we all live with what is referred to as mental maps, with images or pieces of information that can, for example, help us do things like get from home to work or to school or wherever it is you're needing to go. And here's the deal. If your mental map is true, if it corresponds to reality, then you will get in your car tomorrow morning and you will eventually arrive at your desired destination. Does that make sense? But if your mental map is a lie, if it doesn't correspond with reality, you're going to end up lost in a place you don't want to be. 
So for example, whenever I was a freshman in college, I wanted to go um, watch my friends play in a band or uh, play in a show at the New Daisy in Memphis. So I got in my truck with my girlfriend at the time and my buddy and his girlfriend. And though I thought I knew how to get to the venue, I actually made a wrong turn, which led me to this really sketchy building where I, where I end up getting robbed by some really sketchy people. Okay. A scariest moment of my life. I'm 170 pounds right now. I was 140 then. So just imagine, like 140 pounds, sweater vest wearing, white kid on Crump Boulevard at 9 p.m. I was like, this is how it ends, you know? (laughs) Clearly, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And how did I get there? Because I had a wrong mental map. I had ideas in my head about how to get to the new daisy that did not correspond with the reality of how to actually get there. Now, here's the thing. In the same way that we have mental maps that help us get to school or a friend's house or to a concert hall, please hear this. We have mental maps for all of our life. We have mental maps that tell us, here's how we handle our sexuality. We have mental maps that tell us, here's how we spend money and our time. We have mental maps that come to how we handle our relationships and love and marriage and parenting. And you can just fill in the blank. And what you have to understand today is if your mental map is true, if you have a mental map that corresponds with the reality as defined by God, then you're going to be able to navigate life as it was meant to be, which means you're going to flourish and you're going to thrive. You're going to experience a life that is for your good and for God's glory. But on the flip side, if you today have a false mental map. If you have a mental map that is made up of lies, of unreality, you're going to end up lost in a place you do not want to be. Does that make sense? And an extreme example of this is a paranoid schizophrenic who walks around in the living hell of their own mind, trapped in these lies that apart from getting help, it's going to lead them to destruction. But a far more common example is how you and I, whether you realize it or not, are often navigating our own lives with false mental maps that, listen, are there because of wounds from our childhood. Rich Plass, who is uh, one of the many therapists I've had in my life, and I can assure you I need more, um, and who is a mentor to Adam and a friend and an author, he says the following, Our story carries wounds which are held in memories which exist in the form of images, which is one of the reasons why we do paintings out here, by the way, images are so important. So memories which exist in the form of images or representations that have been mapped in the brain. This creates emotions that lead to false interpretations, false narratives, and false false self-strategies in our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. Now, I know that's kind of a heady quote, but here's what he means, and I can use an example from my own life. Whenever I was in fifth grade, and some of you have heard this story before, um, I did not make the basketball team my fifth grade year. My three best friends did make the basketball team, which meant that after tryouts, they began to hang out at that point forward with the basketball players, and I basically began to hang out by myself. And I had this image in my mind where I am sitting at lunch at Oak Grove Middle School by myself. And the basketball team is sitting next to me with a couple of the fifth grade cheerleaders at the time. And they're looking at me and they're laughing and they're making fun of me. Now here's the thing, you need to realize this. As children, we are wonderful observers. But we are terrible interpreters. 
And so in my shame, the interpretation that began to arise in my own mind was, Jared Pickney is not love for who I am, but I'm love for what I do. And for the first time ever in that moment, I realized that what I do is not enough. That I've got to be better than I am. I've got to pull myself together and learn to perform or I will not receive the acceptance and the love and the approval that I'm longing for. And so in that moment, listen, a false mental map was formed that, listen to me, I am still tempted to follow today as a 36-year-old man. A map that can cause me to wake up on a Sunday morning like this morning with anxiety in my gut thinking, okay, I'm about to be on a stage again. I better perform or these people aren't going to love me. A mental map that can cause me on a Sunday, if we have a low attendance Sunday, to leave defeated and discouraged. As I kind of hear this voice in the back of my mind saying, quit, give up. You need to get out of this thing to save yourself the embarrassment of this maybe one day failing. Like that's still images. Those are still voices that are playing off of something that happened to me in fifth grade. And listen, the reason I share all of that, and psychology lesson over, now back to the devil, what you need to get today is because the devil knows this is true, not just of Jared Pickney, but of every single one of you, Because he knows that it is through our false mental maps that we are disabled and led down paths of destruction, his number one weapon against you is lies. Deception. This is number one. Or to put another way, and this is a definition that we'll revisit and unpack over the next seven weeks, the devil's primary strategy against you and me is to sell us on deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. I'm going to say that again because that is a mouthful. The devil, again, remember right now, guys, there is, according to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in the devil, and the devil right now is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you. And the strategy against you, the way that he's going to do this, is through deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Let me unpack that for you just briefly, and then we'll dive into it much deeper in the weeks to come. But first, as we've already established, as we just kind of leave that definition on the screen, as we've already established, the devil's main agenda to destroy you is through lies, through deceptive ideas. But if you notice, according to this definition, the devil isn't simply trying to sell you on deceitful ideas that have no emotional value to you. It's not like the devil is in the background saying to you, Elvis is real. Right? Believe it. Live as if it's true. He's not doing that. Why would he? Because for most of us, that has no emotional value. It's like, good for Elvis and his family, but it doesn't change my life at all. Right? And so he's not just feeding us on random lies, but instead he is trying to sell us on deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires or what the Bible calls the flesh. The part of us that actually desires what evil, the part of us that looks to things in the world believing that it's going to bring us life when in fact it's actually going to bring us death, which is what we see in Genesis 3. The devil comes into the garden, right, in the form of a serpent, and he says to Eve, right, he feeds her on a deceptive lie. Hey, did God say you shall not eat of this tree? And she says, yeah, if we do, we're going to die. And he says, oh, you're not going to die. But girl, he just knows, like, if you do 
do this, you're going to be like him. Like God's holding out on you. And then what does it say? After the deceptive lie, we see it's a lie that appealed to her. It says that whenever Eve saw that the fruit was desirable, she took it, she ate it, she gave it to her husband. And as a result, as you know, everything, everything from single cell organisms to mountains and oceans were fractured. This is a brilliant strategy on the part of the devil. It's brilliant. Because if you think about it, none of us in here sin out of duty or discipline. Does that make sense? Like, like none of us are like, oh, it's 9 p.m., I'm so tired, but I really needed lust. Right? Like, it's just the right thing to do. It's on my calendar, so I guess I better keep my commitment to look at porn tonight. Right? None of us sin out of duty or discipline. We sin out of delight. We sin because there is a promised pleasure behind the sin that is tethered to a lie that is connected to our disordered desires. And so in this example, because we think porn will give us what we need in a moment of weakness, what do we do? We do the quick Google search. We log on to the site. And we objectify that other person with our twisted fantasies all for the sake of pleasuring our flesh. Guys, we need to wake up. Like this is the devil's M.O. It is how he seeks to destroy us. Listen, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It is through deceptive ideas that play to disorder desires that, listen, as you see in that definition, are then normalized in a sinful society. Um, I think about Nazi Germany with this last one. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if you're a you know, historian, whatever, but... A lot of us forget that before World War II, Germany was the apex of Western civilization. I mean, in, in every single like metric system, when it came to art, architecture, theology, it was the birthplace, birthplace of the Reformation, science, technology, education. I mean, they really were the apex of Western civilization. But you know what happened? Within a few decades leading up to World War II, the entire society was eventually destroyed from the inside out by ideas. Not through hard power but through soft power, through deceptive ideas that were fed to them about race and nationhood that then, look back to our definition, played to the societies, right, to the, to, the, to the Germans' disordered desires about money and power and control, which were then normalized in their sinful society. What we don't understand is, guys, listen, a lot of times when we look at a Nazi Germany or an ISIS, we think, yeah, those people do what they do because they're so immoral and they don't care. Do you realize like, the reason we have ISIS or Nazi Germany is because they think what they're doing is moral. And they do care. They just don't know it's a lie. They've bought into the lie for so long as a society, it no longer feels like a lie. Unreality to them has become reality, and it now feels normal when they look at everybody else around them. And guys, listen, the same is true in our lives. I know Nazi, you know, the Nazis and ISIS, that's all an extreme example. But we too, if we're not careful, will be swept up into a society where certain sins have become common and tolerated. And as a result, we will find ourselves in this vicious cycle of deceit that leads us further and further east of Eden. And because this is true, this is why Jesus, when he came to earth, came as a teacher. Think about that. He came as a truth teller. He came and the first thing that he said when he opened up his mouth is that you need to repent, which literally means you need to rethink reality and trust in his vision for the good life. 
I think of Jesus' words in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice according to Jesus, he doesn't say that I have truth. He says, I am truth, meaning I am the one who can set you free. I am the one who can lead you not down a path of destruction, but down a path of life, deep life, meaningful life. In John 10, 10, whenever Jesus says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he says, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And a lot of that, the question I want to ask you as we end this morning is, have you trusted in Jesus? Do you realize right now you are putting your faith in someone or something? Do you realize that? Every one of you are believers. You're all believing in someone or something for the good life. You're all looking to someone or something to find satisfaction. And the day Jesus says, do not fall prey to the enemy who is like a roaring lion, who is feeding you on lie after lie after lie for the sake of of devouring you. So have you trusted in Jesus? If not, I pray that this morning the eyes of your heart will be opened to who he truly is, that you will remember and that you will see that Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life that you could never live, that he died a death on a cross that we deserve to die, and that he rose from the dead, cutting off the power of Satan, sin, and death in our life so we could experience in him the forgiveness and the, full, and the fulfillment and the freedom we are longing for. All that being said this morning, listen, the one thing that I want you to walk away with is this. I want you to realize from our first sermon in this series is that more than our fight against the devil is about demonization. And by the way, as pastors, we believe in demonization. Like we've experienced times where we've cast out demons, um, just even twice in the past couple of years. So we believe in that. Like demonization is real, but more than our fight against the devil is about demonization or disasters or disease. It is a fight to believe the truth over lies. It is a fight to internalize the truth of Jesus over lies fed by the devil. And I use that word internalize intentionally because please hear me. We're almost done today. Truth and lies have zero power over you until you believe them. You realize that every day you're hearing truth and lies. Every single day. But it only has effect over you whenever you internalize them, whenever you actually begin to believe them and act on them as if they're true. And therefore, because of that, as Adam talked about earlier, every single year we launch two to three practicing series where we just pick a practice and teaching from the life of Jesus, and then I teach on it here, and then we practice it in our missional communities. And so this week, the practice we have for you, which is on our website, um, I'll be sure and send you the link to this in your group me accounts. But what we're basically act, asking you to do in the practice this week is after you have your discussion with your missional community is to basically answer a question together where you can learn um, what are the lies that the devil have been feeding me. And as a missional community, I want to encourage you to work on that together. You don't have to share if you don't want to with one another, but maybe one or two will want to. And then after that, what I would encourage you to do is there are five more questions, and you'll find it on that website uh, in the link, that will help you kind of identify how the lie, the deceptive idea, is playing to your disordered desire and is even beginning to be normalized in the society that you're living in for the purpose of replacing that lie with truth. And if you're in a DNA, which is just, as many of you know, groups of three men or three women who are coming together for discipleship, nurture, and accountability, what I would encourage you to do is after you come up with the answers to those questions, share them with your DNA and then give each other gospel encouragement. Speak the truth 
to one another. That is helping us engage in spiritual warfare. And again, all of this is for the purpose of helping you go from believing deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are being normalized in a sinful society to believing the truth, to trusting more deeply in Jesus who alone can set us free to experience the life that we are longing for. With that being said, I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment as the band comes forward. And listen to what Tackle said again in that quote. The enemy, his primary strategy, he says against you in his book, The Truth About Lies, and I believe this, is to get you from internal to keep you from internalizing the truth. So in this moment, here's what this means. Though what we see is just the people sitting next to us and we hear like musicians putting stuff on. And what that means is right now there is a real enemy who is trying to keep the word from the day from settling into your heart. That's his strategy. And so I just want to encourage you right now like to not fall prey to that. This has been God's word to you. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. God cares about you. He loves you. This is his word to you. And so I would just ask you right now to just, Holy Spirit, you know, what is it you have for me? What is it you have for me? And then whatever it is that he reveals to you, then act on that in faith and obedience. And trust that when you do that, you will be cutting off the power from the enemy in your life. If you are here today and you are a Christian, in just a moment I'm going to pray, and then you can come and you can partake of communion. We have two stations in the front, two in the back. There's a gluten-free option for you in the back. And what I want you to realize is of all the ways Jesus could have told us to remember the gospel, he chose food. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say that, hey, that I want you, the way I want you to remember me is by staring at a wooden cross. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I want you to take bread, I want you to take juice. Why? Because literally, Jesus wants us to internalize the gospel, to consume it. And so when you come and you partake of communion, which is not commanded by us, but by Jesus, I want you to remember you're doing spiritual warfare in this moment. You're engaging in spiritual warfare, and you're fighting against the enemy by actually consuming the truth. And so I want to encourage you as you come, if you're a Christian, again, these tables are open to you, two stations in the front, two in the back. But if you are here and you are not a Christian, I would encourage you today, rather than receiving communion, to receive Christ. To come and talk with me or uh, with Adam here in the front. We would love to talk to you about next steps and what it looks like to truly surrender your life to him. All that being said, I invite you to stand. I'll pray for us. We take a communion and then the band will lead us in one more song. And we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is in the room today. I thank you for the truth that you have given us, which is your scripture. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would keep... um, this from falling on deaf ears. I pray that Jesus, that you would, uh, as the one who has authority over Satan and all of the spiritual forces of darkness, that you would, Father, help us to take our thoughts captive in this moment during communion. That we would hear this word and that we would be men and women and children that apply it to our hearts. And as a result, Father, we would produce fruit that is for our good and the good of our city and for your glory. And it's a cross name that we pray. Amen.